welcome to the fourth and kind of short, slightly different episode of Politics and Pedagogy. In this episode, Madeline and I just wanted to take a chance to reflect on the conversations that we've had in the three podcasts with our six amazing guests. And as ever, this series has been sponsored by the Decolonising Development Cost Action Group. So a big thank you to them and is produced by Marina and Harry. And we really wanted to make sure that in this last episode, we acknowledge the fact that this has been a real kind of community effort. And we're very grateful for all of our conversations that we have had and all of the guests that we did have when Louise and I sat down to put this podcast together these were the kind of six key scholars that we were really wanting to be in conversation with and so we're feeling very lucky that we were able to have the conversations with Cheyenne and Latta, Sharon, Dalila, Robbie and Olivia as well. Yeah and to pick up on the idea of conversation so we wanted to just offer this final reflection piece partly because it's really useful to reflect on the things that we've learned and some takeaways, but also really as an invitation to those people who've listened to the podcast to do a similar kind of endeavour, right? To enter into a conversation, to be that conversation with us or be that a conversation with people that you work with or that you teach with to continue this. So we're going to pick up on some themes that hit us from the podcast, but we'd love to hear if there's things that hit you from the conversations or things that you've taken on in your teaching as well. I think that's such an important point. Like, I feel like we've created a community through this podcast, running into people at the University of Leeds who have said that they've listened, or actually at different universities. When we went down to a conference at King's recently, we also had people, but also people just reaching out over Twitter as well. So thank you. And we want to make sure that we continue creating that community of conversation as well. I think that's really important. And that's something that Louise and I have found a real lovely element to creating politics and pedagogy and importantly starting it with thinking about decolonial approaches as well. So I guess one of the first things that we wanted to talk about was positionality. And I think this is actually interesting to think about when we're thinking about how Louise and I started this podcast in itself I think we were both very keen to do the podcast but also were newbies to this and so listening back which both Louise and I have done for this podcast episode you can really see and hear well you can really hear the way in which we are in the first episode maybe a bit stunted and not knowing what to say all of the time and leaving it up to Latter and Cheyenne to carry the conversation almost And what doesn't come out of the edit, really, is the latter kind of broke the third wall at one point and was like, hey, Louise, Madeline, like, what do you think about this? This is also a conversation. And listening back to that and thinking about that, I think there was the element of we're new to podcasting. We weren't really sure what we were doing. And also, secondly, the fact that Cheyenne and Latta just had such wonderful conversation. What they were saying was just so fascinating. And we were learning so much and doing so much unlearning with it. But actually, I do think that something that I've reflected on as we've gone on into the second and third episodes is that there was an element there also for me of white fragility, right, of being wrong about something, of taking up space or saying the wrong thing and therefore not saying anything at all or probably overthinking what I was saying. And I think that's really important to acknowledge that Louise and I as white middle class women sat in the global northern UK institution that we are 
still unlearning and still trying to break these systems and disrupt these systems that we ourselves are part of and we ourselves are enacting in our everyday as well even if it's unconsciously. So I think that that's a really important thing for us to reflect on is that actually I think through these episodes maybe reflecting on our own positionality could have been stronger and we could have thought more about our own privilege within that as well. And I think there's different elements. I don't know how you feel about that, Louise, but I think there's probably different elements which speak to that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think, so my intellectual background hasn't been in post-colonial theory. I don't know that much about decoloniality. And so as well as, you know, getting used to the sound of your own voice in a podcast, (laughs) I just felt like I needed to have a certain amount of expertise or I've learned it's a learnt practice, right? Probably mm-hmm. colonial practice that you amass a certain amount of knowledge. It's like this idea of mastery, right? That Sharon was talking about. Like I didn't feel like I'd mastered it, so I couldn't mm-hmm. speak with an expert voice. But that isn't wasn't the role here, right? It's not what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's like the fact that I didn't know anything, that's fine, right? And I can enter into it and be completely open about the fact, or like Sharon says it as well, right? That you you don't have to go into a space claiming that you know everything about it. Yeah. And I think I could have brought more of that and just recognised that exactly like you were saying, you can make a mistake, you can get something wrong if it's in the pursuit of trying to do a better job of it. Totally. And I actually think that starting the conversation with Cheyenne and Latta was very useful in that because they were talking about the structures of higher education. And given that you and I have gone through higher education in the UK and schooling in the UK, we both went to state schools in the UK, like we have been a product of also that education system, which doesn't allow for those conversations, it doesn't open up those conversations. So yes, like we need to do our own work as individuals, but also we have grown up in these institutions, which also don't challenge us or try to give us the space in order to think a bit more critically about ourselves and our positionality and our privilege as well. Um, And so I think that that's a really you know, interesting element to start with. I'm so glad we started with that conversation with Latta and Cheyenne, because I'm guessing that if like you and to an extent myself, haven't encountered all of those conversations around decoloniality and positionality, reflecting on the reasons why is a really important way to start the conversation as well. Completely. And we've run those workshops, haven't we, with colleagues, and we've got that report that Laureola Hernandez and Varjan um, did in Leeds that talks about staff's attitudes to decolonizing. Yeah. Like Latter talked about being a buzzword, but also because of the way that we approach academic disciplines, it's intimidating, mm. and and that's not it, right? Like mm. it's not supposed to be approached like another area that you conquer, mm. another hill that you climb. Complete. It's like what Robbie was talking about in the third episode about these turns, right? Like the feminist term and the critical turn and the decolonial turn and the fact that the whole conversation I felt with Robbie and Olivia was what is the difference between critical pedagogy, good pedagogy, decolonial pedagogy, feminist pedagogy. And I think that that is also an important thing to talk about that actually maybe we are thinking about decolonial approaches, but under a different name or whatever. I think that's also an important thing to acknowledge and reflect on. And the kind of instinct, like for me, it's like overcoming this instinct to intellectualize something. Mm. Or basically, it's like, Madeline, you'll laugh because I've made you listen to this before. <laughs> but my Skunk Nancy song, he tried to intellectualize my blackness, right? I've talked about critical race theory intellectually, mm. but that's different. 
from recognizing my own position mm. and my own continued investment in whiteness and white privileges. That's so interesting you said that because when I was listening back to the first episode and I was like, oh my God, there's my white fragility. And I didn't confront it. And I've written a whole article talking about confronting the discomfort, right? <laughs> but actually it's in like your everyday practices. This is everyday, like we can intellectualize it or we can write these things down, but actually, you know, I talk to my students about this. It's like a continuous process. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes when we feel that white fragility is kind of like, I don't know, uh, activated in a way, it can become almost like a barrier to you. It comes harder. It becomes hard. It feels harder. It feels more uncomfortable. And so your kind of automatic instinct is to run away when actually we need to sit with it. Yeah. And I think that the intellectualizing is a really interesting thing that I've really noticed in myself as well. And I think that the podcast, like Sphere, because it's both professional, but also informal, really highlights that. But yes, also that song is a banger. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, I wonder if like that idea of it being something practical is a really good jumping off point for the second thing that we wanted to talk about which is from listening as well as like this experience and the reflections it had what we take away from it or what kind of more practical if that's the right term insights we've got so Madeline what would you share on that well actually it's from the first conversation firstly I mean there's so much right there's so much we could talk about all three conversations brought up so much for us the first thing though that really stuck with me was the conversation between you and Cheyenne where you're talking about silence in the classroom in the first episode you know, I was at a conference recently, there was a Latin American conference in Colombia, and there was a, this amazing scholar from Chile, Maria Barros Hoffman, and I'll put all of her details in the show notes. And she was talking about how with young people trying to engage them in talking about global issues and social justice issues around them when they're very young, we need to be making sure that their nervous system is regulated, right? That actually like we can't allow them to fulfill their true self and to have any reflection on themselves and how they're feeling if their nervous systems aren't regulated. And she's done this amazing piece of research during COVID about how young people hadn't been outside as much and actually nature helps you to regulate yourself and at the beginning of this talk she made us like almost it wasn't a meditation but like sit and engage our senses and I was so in the room after it because of that and I was so switched on because of it and it really reminded me of what you and Cheyenne were saying it was like that our students come from the chaos of everyday life and the multiple challenges that our young people are facing or our students are facing more broadly and ourselves are facing that actually by bringing them into the classroom and engaging that nervous system and having time to think and sit and reflect is also part of this kind of decolonial approach in the sense that it's trying to push back against this cycle of capitalist neoliberal productivity in that as well and be with one's thoughts and reflections and that reflexivity as well so I feel like it's something that when I went to this talk and I heard about this all I could think about was that conversation between you and Cheyenne so yeah one of my biggest takeaways is to try and ensure that my students coming into the classroom feel more centered and have those spaces and that time to sit in silence reflect and think yeah I actually 
but Bisa heard Roxani Cristali talk and she said that she starts all her seminars asking students what brought them joy that week. Mm. And she's like, if I'm just the space where they can talk about a joyful moment, that's enough for me. It was really moving. But it's something similar, isn't it, about like grounding? Yeah. Maybe we should start our podcasts doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What was your biggest takeaway? I really took a lot from when Sharon was saying that she asks herself what's the most pedagogically effective or responsible thing to do to make the intervention that she wants to make. Mm. Slightly paraphrased, probably not as eloquently as she put it, but that that isn't always you telling them. Mm. And then I think she was talking in a bigger conversation about the difference between critical pedagogy and decolonial pedagogy and that sometimes with critical pedagogy, there's a right answer. Yeah. You know, you're trying to get them to behave or think about this in a particular way to respond to it and recognize its flaws or whatever it might be and the right answer stuff and I think I probably still do a lot of that where you know I want to make an intervention so I think the best thing to do is for me to stand up and tell them right like you need to this isn't this a problem or whatever whereas actually if I ask that question like what's the the most pedagogically effective or responsible way to do that sometimes and oftentimes it won't be me standing up and telling them it will be kind of opening space for them to do it or pointing them to a different scholar or making space for you know some other thing or bringing in a different source and allowing them to do something more with it rather than having a very set idea of what I want them to think I think that's so important and I also think that our students themselves are looking for looking to us to see what they need to know because that's what schooling has has made them so and so therefore you know, there is the pressure, it almost feels like a pressure as an educator to come up with an answer for them. And at the same time, we don't have all the answers. And also the answers that we have could also be suffocating to new ideas and opportunities and also aren't void of our own positionalities as well. And I think Sharon spoke about that so beautifully. And obviously the work that she's doing in the collective at UBC is also really innovative. So if you haven't had a look. I'd really recommend going and looking at Sharon's work with Vanessa Andorotti because so much of it is about that. It's about kind of flipping around the position of educator and learner as well and making it a much more kind of community learning process, I guess, with that. Yeah. I also think that if we plan this, Madeline, we started to talk about students and that was kind of the third area, wasn't it, that we talked about as takeaways? Yeah, right. I, I think Robbie and Olivia's conversation so much of that was about how we meet our students where they are, which I just found so brilliant to hear. And obviously, <laughs> I think it really comes across when me and Robbie are both like, I are theory, what even is it in that moment? And the references to pop culture, right? The way that Robbie brings in Beyonce's halftime show from the Super Bowl and the way in which Olivia interweaves K-pop, like this is how we can meet our students. And I'm not saying that we need to be like on the zeitgeist because I'm definitely not on the zeitgeist. (laughs) Definitely still, you know, a hardcore 90s gal. But I think it is also that we need to think about how are they connecting to these global challenges in their everyday as well. And your work, Louise, on pop culture is just like such a great way to meet our students, I guess, in that sense, the way that Robbie and Olivia were talking about it. Yeah, so I work in looking at pop culture narratives and security. And I've done that previously in like a research sense, but increasingly thinking about it pedagogically. And it's nice to hear you think about the way that that can 
be one of the ways that you talk to students about where they are and I think also wildly off the zeitgeist right but that's where you can open the space for students to do it and and to bring in examples that they've encountered that they've spoken about um or that they've you know watched on their phone or shared is you get to learn something I often get to learn something but then also you're allowing them the space to make the links right so it's a bit like back to what we were saying rather than forcing them to make the link I should be able to say he said this but it's about making the familiar strange and making the strange familiar yeah from the role that pop culture can play in a classroom yeah totally I mean this is like slightly off topic but I remember when I was teaching at the University of Sunderland I was teaching on inequalities diversity and global society and one of the discussions we were talking about was like feminism and like the betrayal of women as crazy right and and that element of we were talking within the criminal justice system but we were drawing on feminist theory here and one of my students came in and she was like my daughter last night was listening to this song and I told her she had to switch it off because it was saying it was talking about how women were a little bit psycho and isn't that a narrative that we have right and so something we'd spoken about in the classroom she'd heard it in her every day and reflected on it as well and I just think that that's you know the fact that you bring that in within security studies is really important and that's also part of I guess these decolonial approaches to an extent or maybe like Robbie and Olivia talk about just really good pedagogy is meeting our students where they are so I thought that that was a really interesting and fruitful conversation as well I mean there was so much from that conversation that we could unpack yeah completely and I think the way that things are overlapping or entangled to do with criticality or being critical or be a feminist or trying to be decolonial isn't it's self really interesting right like you'll know I'm more comfortable talking about feminist pedagogies but it's not really possible to do that successfully without also talking about decolonial pedagogies Mm. without redoing all of the stuff that we were talking about at the beginning with whiteness and I think yeah it's just a really important space to think about the overlaps and the disconnects and then also where we should be pushed you know if I'm more comfortable in feminism then I need to be pushing myself out of that right to sit with the discomfort totally and I think again what came out of the conversation with Robbie and Olivia which when we're thinking about how we frame modules is do we have these standalone weeks on feminism and decoloniality or actually is this something that we need to be threading through all of our conversations within modules as well that actually yeah these theories are important to deep dive into to really understand if we're talking about postcolonial theory or decolonial theory or feminist theory or critical theory more broadly but actually it's about not seeing them as standalone but actually threading all the way through in our thoughts and in our everyday as well which I just think is a really nice way to circle back to the first point that we made around the fact that this is beyond just talking in the podcast or beyond just when we're teaching, but actually this is something that we need to keep on considering in our everyday and also encouraging our students to do so as well. Yeah, completely. And I think the other thing that's like really important is that whilst this is kind of uncomfortable and it ought to be uncomfortable in moments, it's also just really nice. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's also just really great to feel like for the generosity of the people that spoke to us, but to feel like this is a conversation. It's not an individual endeavor. Mm, totally. And and that's what, like, when Latter and Sharon were talking about this, the idea that it's about dialogue and it's about open conversation and it's about making space for those conversations and that 
And then we use the word nourishing loads and loads and loads in that podcast, like listening back to it. Um, but that's how I feel that those conversations have, have been. I think nourishing is really good. Yeah, I was thinking as you were saying that, it's been both affronting and comforting, right? Because mm-hmm. it should be affronting because we are trying to do unlearning and try to have uncomfortable conversations. But also the generosity of our guests has been creating a space and a dialogue that you know, we talk about how it's not necessarily safe, right? But it's actually a courageous space for us to have those conversations and to do that work as, you know, as maybe a four on the podcast, but with the knowledge that we have a community of people that are listening alongside and interacting with us alongside that as well. And I think you and I both are hoping that the conversations that come out of this podcast aren't directed just simply at us or our guests but actually are conversations that go on to be had within one's own community if that's you know your department or you're a student listening or that maybe you are not even engaged within higher education at all but this is something that you're interested in that you're having that with you know your friends or your family or whoever it is that is around you too so Yeah, I think that idea of community and doing it together, because actually the way in which we try to decolonize, if that's what we're going to call it, or as Sharon talks about confronting coloniality, right? We can do that on an individual level. We must do in our own individual work, but actually the way in which we kind of disrupt these constructs really is as a collective as well. Yeah, completely. It's kind of the like the recognition of power and power imbalances and then also the active pursuit of addressing those or disrupting them. But yeah, that idea that there might be people who go on to have conversations about this with other people is what we're really hoping for, right? Definitely. I wonder if we should bring this to an end because obviously you and I will continue to talk about this ad infinitum (laughs) for the rest of the day. Um, But I think we've captured some of the kind of key reflections that we wanted to bring up and particularly this invitation or this hope for more and wider conversation to keep happening. Yeah, this has been really fun. It's been really nice to reflect. And I'm looking forward to keeping on reflecting and keeping on having these conversations. And we are very grateful for you listening. And I'm very grateful to be doing this with Louise and to our really, really wonderful guests. So we just wanted to say a big thank you again to Lata and Cheyenne, Sharon, Dalila, Robbie, Olivia, to Maureen and Harry for producing this series as well and obviously to the decolonizing development cost action group for sponsoring us for this series yeah i really echo those thanks and then we are hoping to come back with a second series of the podcast in the new academic year so from september and if you have any more ideas for podcasts do let us know i'll make sure that our emails are in the description of this i'm sure they're widely available but just for ease if you want to get in contact with us either to take up any of the things that are talked about in this series to ask any questions about stuff that maybe we've referenced that you couldn't find or if you've got ideas for stuff that you'd like to talk about in the future thank you thanks bye